0: Good morning i find it the ultimate of ironies that as i came up here on the stage i had to kill a yellow jacket i had to crush it <laughs> i know <laughs> well, moving on <laughs> how many of you ever played the uh, childhood game uh king of the hill how many, some of you okay hey some a lot of you have it was a lot a lot of fun uh Uh, Kyle Eidelman, teaching pastor at Southeast Christian in Louisville, Kentucky, author of the book, God's at War, which is what we're basing this uh, sermon series off of. He tells the story I want to share with you. Uh, Kyle says, when I was in the fourth grade, we played that game every day at recess. It went like this. All the boys would push and shove each other to the ground. And when the whistle blew, whoever was left standing on the hill was crowned king. My guess is that most schools have outlawed such games these days because of the sheer brutality. I love this game. Who knows why? Uh, because I was the undisputed, undefeated king of the hill, maybe. Of course, I was five uh, 5'11", 165 pounds, and shaved in the fourth grade, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I was enjoying my reign as king, and then one day, one day we got a new student in our class. This student was bigger and taller than me, and worst of all, this student was a girl. At first, I didn't sweat it. I thought, what self-respecting girl would ever want to play king of the hill? But I had not reckoned on this girl being Barbara. Barbara wore cowgirl boots. She made fun of the girls in our class who wore braids. I knew I was in trouble when we were sitting in art class on her second day of school, and Barbara ate glue. I had heard about glue eaters from other schools, but this was my first real life encounter. Sure enough, at recess that day, Barbara wanted to play King of the Hill. In hindsight, it would have been sensible to have a no girls allowed rule, but I would contend that having this rule was not an oversight because we weren't playing Queen of the Hill or Intergender Overlord of the Hill. This was King of the Hill, it was implied no girls allowed. It's like a men's restroom. A sign saying girls aren't allowed is not necessary because by definition they're excluded. I digress. I tried politely explaining this to Barbara, but you can hang this on the wall, sew it to a pillow, and post it on Facebook. There is no reasoning with a glue eater. Barbara dug her boots into the ground and came after me, and when the whistle blew that day, I was no longer king. I had been dethroned by a girl. I still remember what a horrible feeling that was. The rest of my fourth grade year, I was consumed with plots to dethrone the evil queen and reclaim my rightful place. But thankfully, Barbara lost interest and she turned her attention to bullying other kids on the playground. I've discovered that King of the Hill isn't just a childhood game that we play. But often it ends up Becoming our life's pursuit. Do whatever it takes to make it to the top. The desire to become king or queen becomes a God that takes the place of the Lord God in your life. Attend the best college, attain the the best career, get the most money. Build the largest house, and on, and on, and on. There's a story in Luke chapter 18. And by the way, if you weren't with us last week, haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we're in this series called God's at War. And basically what we're doing with this series is we're taking a look at how modern day idolatry is alive and well. And how God dedicated his first two commandments in Exodus chapter 20 To not making gods or idols for yourself to worship. Why? Because God knew that this was at the heart, at the center of all of our sin. Putting things on the heart, on the throne of our life that come before the Lord God. And when we first talk about it, and I know many of you have had this reaction, and some of you have read this book, God's at War. And you might can relate to this. On the surface, you look at it and say, I'm not an idol worshiper. I worship God. God is clearly the Lord of my life until until you start examining things, until you start looking into your own heart and your own life and you realize, you know, maybe there are some things that are competing with the Lord God for control of my life. And I think it's an important thing to talk about and so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some different areas of your life where there may be some God's that have taken the place of the Lord God. So if you will, look with me at Luke chapter 18. This is a story most of you will be familiar with. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. We're going to look at it, verses 18 through 27. It's not a long story. It's a pretty simple one, actually. Read it it to yourself as I read along with it. It says, "A, a certain ruler, and he's talking to Jesus. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come... Come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the story today, but I want to look at that verse 23 again real quick. The wording is interesting to me. It says this, it says, when he heard this, he became very sad. Why? Why did he become very sad? He became very sad because He was wealthy. Isn't that interesting? He didn't come sad because Jesus told him to sell his stuff. He became sad because he was wealthy. In the story, I think it's important that we note a couple of things. As we look at this story that Jesus tells, I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is this. Jesus is not attacking money in and of itself. Jesus looks into this man's heart. He isn't saying money is evil and bad and terrible and you should never have money and you should shun money. He's looking into this man's heart and he realizes that this man has another God in his life besides the Lord God. Jesus knows this man wants to get into heaven. But he wants to do it by his own power and his own effort and his own strength. Did you notice the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To get into heaven. What must I do? And he was wanting Jesus to give him the formula. Well, here's what you do. You follow the commandments and you do these list of things and then you're good to go. But that's not where Jesus leaves it, is it? Jesus looks in his heart. And Jesus says, you can't. You can't. Think about it. The man says, what can I do to earn my way into heaven? And Jesus says, I'm sorry, but you can't. It's impossible. It's impossible for you. What's possible for God, it's impossible for you. You can't earn it. And you can't be good enough. There's only one ticket that will get you there. And it's if you will take money and power, and success, and achievement off the throne of your life, and let me be the Lord of your life. That's how you get there. Let me be in control. Let God take control of this life. Anything short of that is impossible. Today, we're going to enter into the temple of power. And you might find that wording interesting. Why do I call it the temple of power? Well, I just want you to imagine right here in front of this stage an altar. And on this altar, today, I'm going to challenge you to come in and to see this, this temple that we're in, this temple called power, the power of money and success, and achievement, and planning for the future. And to say, remember, it's not that any of these things are bad in and of themselves, but to say, have I entered into a temple in which these things have become gods that I'm bowing down to and I'm worshiping? And have taken the place of the Lord God in my life. See the interesting thing I find about the temple of power. Even though I'll acknowledge not all of you worship there. But I have no doubt some of you do. But in this temple. Laid right on this altar. Are the gods where we seem to find the most stress. The most anxiety in our world. And this temple is where you're going to find you're going to find a lot of ugliness. You're going to find a lot of paranoid people. A a lot of emptiness. A lot of hard stuff. You see, I think we need to examine the rhetorical question Jesus threw out at the rich young ruler when he said, How hard is it for the rich to enter? The kingdom of God. I think we need to reflect on that today. And I'm wondering if one of the gods on the throne of your heart today are living here in this temple of power. I want us to spend just a few minutes taking a look at a handful of these gods. And I want to give you an opportunity to examine your own heart and life and say, is it possible that one of these gods we find in this temple Is a God that's winning the war for my soul. Is it possible? Is it possible? Let's take a look at the first of these three gods. You can fill in your outline as we go. In the Temple of Power, the first God that we find is probably the most obvious one the God of money. The God of money. Millard Fuller tells of becoming a millionaire by the age of 29. He said that he had bought his wife everything she could possibly want but one day he came home to a note that announced that she had left him. Millard went after her. He found her on a Saturday night in a hotel in New York City. They talked into the wee hours of the morning as she poured out her heart and made him see that the things that our society says are supposed to be so satisfying have left her cold inside. Her heart was empty and her spirit was burned out. She was dead inside and she wanted to live again. Kneeling at the bedside in that hotel room, Millard and Linda decided to sell everything they had and dedicate themselves to serving the poor. The next day, being Sunday, they found the nearest church and they went there to worship and thank God for their new beginning. They shared with the minister, and they told him what had happened to them and the decision that they had made. The minister told them that such a radical decision was not really all that necessary. Millard says, he told us that it was not necessary to give up everything. He just didn't understand He told us that it wasn't necessary to give up everything. He just didn't understand that we weren't giving up money and the things that money could buy. We were just giving up, period. Millard and Linda started an organization that you might be familiar with. It's called Habitat for Humanity. You see, Fuller and his wife came to learn a very important lesson. Money in and of itself is not evil or bad. But making money the God of your life is never going to satisfy you. It doesn't make you a more valuable person. It doesn't provide the kind of security that we as humans really need. And it certainly cannot save you. I'll say it again just to make sure we don't miss this point. Money is not bad. Money is not evil. Having money and wanting money are not things that we necessarily should look down on. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest, I need money. I have a family. I have four kids and a wife to support. It's my responsibility to provide housing and food and clothing and education for them. And I want to give them nice things. Not only are those things not bad, they're very good. God wants me to provide for my family, and to do that I do need money. The problem is, when money goes from being a tool that I use to provide for my family's need, when it goes from that to becoming a God that rules my life. 1 Timothy 6.10 says it this way. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot love both God and money. The bottom line is this. Guys, money is good, but money is not God. And we've got to remember that. When we come into the temple of power, you've got to decide, am I going to bow down at this altar of money? Or am I simply going to say, look, tools, they're just here to serve a purpose. But I will not bow down to them and I will not make them the God of my life. They will not take the place of the Lord God in my life. Here's another God that we find in the temple of power. It's the God of achievement. I have a feeling maybe for some of us money isn't necessarily a God in and of itself, but now all of a sudden we're hitting on something that may appeal to you a little bit more, that might be a little bit more at the root of where your heart is. This desire, this need to achieve and succeed. Does that desire desire describe you? Does that drive you? Obviously, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that achievement and success is bad. But are they the God of your life? Have they become the center of your life? One day, there was this fisherman... He was lying on a beautiful beach with his fishing pole propped up in the sand and his solitary line cast out in the sparkling blue surf. He was enjoying the warmth of the afternoon sun and the prospect of catching some fish. About that time, a businessman came walking down the beach trying to relieve some of the stress of his workday. He noticed the fisherman sitting on the beach and decided to find out why this fisherman was fishing instead of working hard to make a living for himself and his family. You know, you're not going to catch many fish that way, said the businessman to the fisherman. You should be working rather than lying on the beach. The fisherman looked up at the businessman smiled and replied, and then what will my reward be? Well, you can get bigger nets and you can catch more fish, was the businessman's answer. And then what will my reward be, asked the fisherman, still smiling. The businessman replied, well, you'll make money and you'll be able to buy a boat, which will then result in a larger catch of fish. And then what will my reward be, replied the fisherman. The businessman was getting a little angry. Don't you understand, you can build up a fleet of fishing boats and sail all over the world and let all your employees catch fish for you. And once again, the fisherman asked, and then, what will my reward be? The fisherman, I mean, the businessman was red with rage, and he, he shouted at the fisherman, don't you understand that you, can't, you can become so rich that you'll never have to work for your living again? You'll spend all the rest of your days sitting on the beach and looking at the sunset, and you won't have a care in the world. And the fisherman, still smiling, looked up, and he said, and what do you think I'm doing right now? You see, achievement is good, and in fact, I'll go as far as to say achievement is great. God built a desire for achievement into all of us, or at least most of us, to achieve and excel in something. Maybe for you it's music, or success, or or sports. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's writing, or something else artistic. You fill in the blank for you, whatever it is God has put in your heart to achieve. But when does our desire to achieve these things move in front of the Lord God as the thing sitting on the throne of your life? You want to know a simple way to know the answer to that question? Ask yourself this. Is my desire to achieve and succeed more about bringing glory to God or about bringing glory to myself. God wants you to achieve. He wants you to succeed. But He wants to be glorified through your success. If you're driven to achieve, if your drive to achieve is for your own fame and your own glory, it's likely that achievement has risen from being a good, healthy thing To being a thing that is on this altar that you are bowing down to and worshiping in your life. See, we've got to remember, achievement's good. But achievement is not God. Achievement will not save you. Achievement at the end of the day will be worthless if it's not about glorifying the King of Kings. It just simply is the truth. Is achievement a guide in your life? Or is it simply something God's put in you so you can bring glory to him? It's an important question to ask, don't you think? A third guide, a final guide we're going to look at today that we find in the temple of power that we're visiting is the, the God of our future, our future plans find this an interesting one to think about, because it really doesn't matter what stage you are in life. You're thinking about the future. You're thinking about what comes next, whether the future is next week, next year, five years, 10 years. You're thinking about the future. There's a story, and I've shared it with you before. It's Irwin McManus in the book Seizing Your Divine Moment. And Erwin McManus is a pastor out in California Uh, los angeles and he shares this story he he describes his early years of marriage and he and his wife were they basically had nothing they had committed themselves to ministry and as they go into ministry and come out of seminary they have basically nothing but they were ready to go and they were ready to serve wherever god called them they didn't make much money They didn't have a house or a car. They had little more than the shirts on their back. But soon, as they began working in ministry and working to serve God, they were blessed. And God did begin answering some of these prayers and providing not only their needs, but some wants. They found success, and they started making more money. It wasn't long after that they had their first child. And they were able to buy a car. And they were able to buy a house And they they started acquiring material things with the money that they were making. And it was nice. And then a moment came when God called them to go to a new ministry. The new ministry was going to mean less money. It meant they were going to have to probably sell the house and the car. It meant they were probably going to have to give up some of the nice things that they had acquired and gotten used to in their life. They were thankful that they were going to get to keep the kid. But in their struggle over this decision, they realized that the blessings of God had become shackles around their ankles, holding them back from pursuing the calling that God was giving them. What God had meant for good had become a God in their life. It was time for a change. You see, when we start to look at our future and our plans... It's so easy to go from a place where, where we, we want to just live simple lives and we want to we be people that give God honor and glory through the way we're living our lives. It's so easy to go from that place to a place suddenly where we have these blessings God's put in our life, whether it's our children, our family, or our material possessions, or a house, or our career, or our money, or relationships, or whatever it is. We have these things that God's put in our life, and pretty soon we realize we've gone from a place where instead of thinking about the future in terms of how to bring glory to God, we're thinking about our future in terms of how we can hang on to what we got and build more of it how we can be more comfortable and get even more comfortable how we can build our savings nest egg and how we can build our retirement and how we can make sure that life is as comfortable as it can possibly be i wonder how many of us have come to a place where our future plans are all about me where our future plans are all about comfort and all about safety and all about satisfaction. And those thoughts about somehow serving God and serving the greater good and somehow building his kingdom have just kind of fallen by the wayside because, well, life's just too hard. And we're just too busy. And raising kids just wears you to slap out. And I'm tired. I'm going to wrap the sermon up now. <laughs> I wonder how many of us have become so obsessed with bigger and better that our future plans have become a God in our life. James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, then we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. And all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin for them. Guys, just like achievement, we must be willing to ask ourselves this question. Are my future plans focused on bringing glory to God or just to satisfy my wants and my desires and my comfort and my happiness? When asking these questions, you must be completely honest with yourself. Why? Because our future plans are good. They're important. We need to think about what comes next and be prepared. But we need to always remember they are not God. Our future plans do not take the place of the Lord God on the throne of your heart. Your future plans will not save you. Your future plans will not develop the relationship with God that you need if they are the things controlling the decisions you make, if they are the things driving the way you're living your every day. I don't know, is the temple of power a place that you visit? Is the temple of power, is this altar, does it have a God on it for you? Money? Achievement, future plans, success, power. I'm not saying every single person in this room bows down at this altar, but I know some of you do. And I wonder for how long. Are you going to allow another God to sit on the throne of your life besides the Lord God? We've talked a little bit about how to deal with it. It really comes down to this. Is money and achievement and success and future planning, is it about God's glory or is it about yours? That's really a simple way to identify your God and to deal with it. But I can assure you of this. The Lord God of all creation is not going to be satisfied with any other role in your life than being the one and only love of your life. He will not share the throne of your heart with money. He will not share the throne of your heart with achievement. He will not share the throne of your heart with future plans. He wants to be the Lord of your life, and he wants to be the focus of all of those things. Those things can only be a tool that point directly to him. Luke 12, verses 15 through 21, Jesus shares a story. He says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who gets, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Guys, what are you spending your energy and your time building for yourself? An empire for you? Or building the kingdom of God? There's only one that's going to last into eternity. There's only one that's going to last beyond the day you take your last breath here on this earth. Don't you want to be building on that? Isn't that the empire, the kingdom you want to be building? Matthew 16, 24-26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus was making it simple and clear. If you give your life up to me, and let me sit on the throne of your heart, you're going to have every riches, every success, every achievement, and an eternal future to build your life on. And that's the kind of future planning God wants us to be involved in. You see, the temple of power cannot save us. Why? Why? Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. He gave us a way into heaven, and it has nothing to do with you earning it. And it has everything to do with putting Jesus Christ on the Lord, on the throne of your life, and claiming Him as your Lord and Savior. And once He's there, He is not going to share that throne with anyone or anything else. God created each of us with a need to succeed and achieve. He wants us to work hard and to plan for the future. He wants us to enjoy the blessings provided by money and hard work. There is nothing wrong with achievement and money and success and power, but don't make the mistake of forgetting that while these things are good, they are not God. Today, we're going to offer an invitation. And this invitation is an invitation to you as we sing this next song to respond to this message you've heard. And I don't know how you need to respond. But if you have been worshiping in this temple of power, it's time to start with repentance. It's time to say, God, I'm so sorry. I have been bowing down to one of these gods instead of you. that's a sin and that's something he wants us to acknowledge before him and to confess and he will forgive he wants you to know that if you will just let him be the lord of your life he will provide all of this and more so I don't know how you need to respond today maybe you just need to sit where you are and say a prayer and talk to God about it and confess it to him maybe you need to come up and you need somebody to pray with you Maybe it's time for you to give your life to Christ for the very first time and you want to talk to me or one of our elders about that. And we're available after the service if you'd like to have that conversation. But don't leave here today without responding. Respond to what you've heard. Go to God and say, God, I'm tired of worshiping in the temple of power. I'm ready for you to be the Lord of my life. Pray with me, please father uh, this temple is a place where many of us have come in worship for a long time the world has told us that if we have a lot of money and if we achieve and we succeed and if we we plan for our future and we we build up a nest egg and comfort and power and happiness for ourselves, God, that that will save us and that will give us everything we need yet we all know the lie. We all know how empty we're still going to feel. We still know how death will separate us from all those things one day. But God, how your kingdom is forever. God, I pray that we will make you our one and only. That we will make you the Lord our life. And God, if there's anyone here today who needs to respond to this message, who needs to make you king of their life, Lord, on the throne of their heart, that they'll do so and they won't waste another minute. God, thank you for speaking to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand and let's we'll sing the song together. Respond how you need to, okay?